I'm like so excited to tell you guys um, about the story tonight because it focuses on something that I feel like God has really been speaking to me for like the last several months. Um, has anyone like felt like God's really spoken to them about something before? Cool. If not, it's okay. Maybe tonight will be the first night. Um, and I know like God speaks to everyone slightly differently, but for me, he always like starts out gradually. So I'll be like doing my God time you know, reading along, and then, like, a verse just, like, pops out. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Then later in the day, I'll, like, have a conversation with a friend, and all of a sudden, they, like, bring up the same topic that was in the verse. And I'm like, oh, what a coincidence. Then I go to, like, church, and all of a sudden, the whole sermon is on the same thing as my friend talked about, and I read in my God time. Then I'm like, I think he's trying to get my attention. So this time, God must, like, really want to get my attention, because he's having me teach a whole message on it. (laughs) So I don't know if I'm just stubborn or something, but... Um, I don't know, if you guys have ever taught anything, you know that, like, the teacher is the one who usually, like, really needs to learn the lesson, and then all of you guys just get to participate. So, um, all that to say, I'm really excited to share this, because it's, like, spoken a lot to me, and I hope it will to you as well. But can I start out by telling you guys a story? Is that okay? Awesome. Well, back in uh, 2010, I was a freshman at Central Washington University. Yes, I'm old. It was a different era then. Russell Wilson was not the quarterback for the Seahawks. I know. The Jonas Brothers were cool for the first time. For the first time, I know. That was the joke. They're back now. Um, every girl on campus wanted to have a North Face jacket. I don't know if you guys remember them, but they were the kind that had like the, like the fleece down here and then they're like shiny up here. I thought they were the coolest thing in the world, and I really wanted one. I didn't get one, but I wanted one. So anyway, this is when I was a freshman at Central, 2010. And when I started college, you would have thought that I had gotten a four-year scholarship to the UW and was not just a regular student at Central because I was so driven and so dedicated to my school. I told everyone that my goal was to graduate college with a 4.0. I really believed that the measure of my success was my grades. And honestly, you guys, like my first year of college, I spent almost all my time in classes or studying. Like I would study six hours a day and I was taking 15 credits and doing 100 level classes. I had a problem. (laughs) I remember my friend Amy, who was in my core, was like endlessly trying to convince me to like go hang out with her and like actually do fun things. She tried to get me to like go to Chi Alpha stuff and I was like, no, no, I need to like study because I have this math test and I have to get 100% on it. And I missed out on so much my freshman year. You know, I said no to going to winter camp. I didn't go to spring retreat. I didn't go to SBO. I didn't do like so many of these awesome things that were great opportunities because I thought I had to study. And I was trying to prove my success, value, and worth through succeeding in school. I remember toward the end of my freshman year, having a conversation with my friend Rebecca that challenged me so much. I can like tell you guys exactly where, st- where we were standing, too. We were in front of the smoothie stand in the Cirque. And I was probably like low-key bragging to her about how I was like so proud that I finished like my freshman year with a 4.0. And I, like, really thought she was going to be like, oh, my gosh, you are amazing. Like, how did you do that? That's such an achievement. But that, like, wasn't her response at all. Instead of, like, congratulating me, she was like, you know, Meredith, 
Maybe grades aren't everything. Maybe, yeah, mm-hmm. Maybe God wants you to focus on getting to know him and doing things for him more than he wants you to succeed for yourself. And maybe he'd be more pleased if you got B's and C's and spent some time with his people. Well, I'd like to say that I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll change my life. I didn't do that. (laughs) I was, like, so grouchy with her at first, and I'm pretty sure I was just like, oh, yeah, thanks. And I was, like, really irritated. Like, you know, that's nice for you, but not so much for me. But over the next few months, God really started working on my heart, and I realized that she was right. Up until that point, my ambition in life had been totally focused on proving my own worth through my grades, and it had never dawned on me before that I was chasing the wrong goal. Have you guys ever had misplaced ambitions? So tonight, we're going to look at a story that explains where our ambitions should lie as people who are part of God's kingdom. Um, But first, I'm going to pray, and then because I forgot to do it at the beginning, I'll have the Bible pastors come forward after I pray, okay? All right, pray with me. Jesus, um, yeah, God, I'm just so excited about this story, and I'm so thankful for your word, Lord, and I'm thankful for what you've been speaking to me. And God, I just pray that you would speak to um, other people tonight as well. Yeah, Jesus, just um, really be teaching us and be present with us here tonight. Amen. All right, now I can get my Bible pastors to come forward, please. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get you guys one. Um, so go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. All right, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Awesome. So when I first read a story from the Bible, I really like to kind of like imagine the scene that we're entering into, Um, so picture it with me. Uh, Right before this passage, Jesus says that his disciples are on a road trip to Jerusalem, basically. And so as we read this passage, I kind of picture them to be on a road trip um, back in the day with, like, a dusty road. And um, I think about how, you know, there's probably a good crowd of them because it's, like, Jesus and his 12 disciples plus probably a few others. There's a pretty good group, like, walking along this road. Um, I don't know why, but I imagine it to be hot and, like, dusty. They've been walking for a few days. They're dirty. And probably a little cranky, because, like, I always get cranky on road trips. Um, And right in the middle of this scene, the mother of the sons of Zebedee 
aka James and John's mom, comes up to Jesus and makes a really like bold request. She asks if her sons can sit on Jesus' right and left in the kingdom of God. Now today, that probably doesn't make like a ton of sense to us. Just seats, like it doesn't seem like a big deal. But James and John knew exactly what their mom was asking. So the disciples believed that Jesus had come to wipe out the Roman Empire and set up a new kingdom that was under God's authority. And like we might be like, what? Like that's not the kingdom Jesus came to set up. Um, but for them, like this is a really logical thought. All throughout the Old Testament, Scripture talks about how um, they can ex- expect a Messiah that's going to come and start a new kingdom under God's authority. And the disciples would have thought of this as a very real, like, physical kingdom. Like, Je- they expected Jesus to come and, like, take over and start a new kingdom. And so when they met Jesus, they assumed that he was going to be the one who was eventually going to have the most fame, notoriety, power, and recognition in the world. They thought it was going to be a very real, physical kingdom that they would be part of. So, when James and John ask to sit on the right and left of Jesus, what they're asking for is to be placed in the position of highest power in the kingdom of God besides the king. They're asking to be put in a place of notoriety and power. Have you guys ever desired to be in a place of notoriety in your relationship with God? Or have you ever wanted to be noticed? It's a good thing to think about. So it doesn't say for sure if it was, like, the mom's idea to ask this question or if the brothers just kind of, like, put her up to it. Like, hey, mom, can you go ask Jesus this little favor for us? <laughs> um, but it doesn't really matter because we can tell that the brothers are clearly supportive of the question either way. We know this because Jesus instantly redirects his attention away from the mom and on to James and John. Verse 22 says, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? So in typical Jesus fashion, he responds to their, like, this, like, really bold inquiry, not with a rebuke, you know, he didn't call them out, but he asked them a question. Can you drink this cup? And that makes me wonder, so what's this cup that he's referring to? Well, in the Old Testament, prophets often refer to the cup either as a cup of God's wrath or a cup of God's blessing. Okay, so you got a cup of wrath, cup of blessing. The cup is then symbolically like poured out onto people, and people receive either God's blessing or God's wrath. And in this scenario, we know that the cup Jesus drank was that of God's wrath as Jesus died on the cross in our place. Okay, Um, but the disciples aren't understanding this yet. I would imagine, like, it was so ingrained in their head and in their culture that Jesus was coming to set up this, like, physical kingdom that they, like, couldn't understand this, even though he's, like, explained it to them multiple times. He's already told them, like, guys, I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to die as a sacrifice for, like, people's sins. I'm going to rise on the third day. But they just, like, aren't getting that. Um, And I think understandably so. So by asking this question, Jesus is gently saying, like, friends, you cannot reign in the same way that I do because you can't take on the sins of the world like I do. You guys don't understand what you're asking. And I think it's really easy for us to kind of look at the disciples and laugh at them and be like, gosh, like they lived with Jesus. 
They walked with Jesus every single day. How in the world could they not know what was going on already, you know? How could they be so prideful and so self-centered that they would literally ask Jesus for the best position in his kingdom? How could they do that? However, when I think about it more, uh, this exchange actually gives me a lot of compassion for the disciples. The request is like really human, I think, and really relatable for me. Their ambition was to reign with Christ, and they wanted recognition. So I have to ask, how often are we striving for recognition? How often are we striving for recognition? When I look at our culture, I see it revolving around the same things that James and John wanted. Why do students get excited when they make the dean's list? Isn't that a status symbol? Why are CEOs, politicians, uh, movie stars, like why are they celebrated so much? Isn't it because they have power? Why do people get jealous when their coworker is, a given, is given a promotion and they aren't? Isn't it because they want the recognition for themselves? And I think it's really easy to say, like, okay, well, the rest of the world does that, but, like, Christians, not so much. Have you ever wanted people to notice you reading your Bible because it looks good? Have you ever posted on Instagram a picture of you reading your Bible because it looks good? Have you ever wanted to become a core leader so that you would have authority and people would notice you? Our entire culture, both Christian and like worldly culture, is set up to celebrate power, status, and recognition, just like it was back then. And you might be thinking, like, okay, well, that's great for some people, but like that doesn't really apply to me. Like, I've always been a person who does stuff in the background. You know, I don't really like attention on me at all. I'm pretty quiet. I just like to take the behind the scenes job. And let me tell you, like, guys, that was me. Like, that's what I thought about myself for so long. I thought that I just served in the background so humbly. I didn't like to be up front. I like, didn't like to get the attention. But something I've come to realize is that there's two types of people. There's people like James and John who just kind of blatantly are like, hey, I deserve this. Please give it to me. And then there's people like myself who are sneaky recognition seekers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys ever done something nice for someone just to make them like you more? Or have you ever taken a hard, behind-the-scenes job just because you want to hear someone tell you thank you? I do stuff like that all the time, or I'm tempted to do stuff like that all the time for the wrong reasons. And so my point is that regardless of what it looks like, um, all of us at some point have been in a place where our ambition is wrongly placed on making our own name great instead of God's name great. So what does Jesus do in response to James and John's wrongly placed ambition? Look at uh, verse 25 and 26. It says, You know that the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority of them. Not so with you. Not so with you. This phrase, not so with you, is the hinge of this entire passage. Okay, it's like so small, but it's so important. Jesus is making it extremely clear that while the rest of the world might compete to make their name known and make themselves great, it is not to be like that in his kingdom. 
It is not to be like that with his followers. Instead, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, or sorry, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, how would you guys have felt in that moment as the as like the disciples, guys? They just got a hard demotion. They went from like ruling and being kings with Jesus to like being slaves. Okay, <laughs> like that's a step down. Can you imagine like what a shock that would have been? Not only, like, you don't get a rule alongside a king anymore, but you have to take, like, the lowest job in society. It would be like if you're expecting to be the next CEO of Microsoft, and then Jesus was like, um, actually, you're going to be the janitor for Microsoft. Like, all of it. Clean all the bathrooms. To be a slave or a servant in that culture was obviously just not a flashy job. It meant that you were not your own. It meant that you had no rights. It meant that you were not supposed to draw attention to yourself. It meant that you lived to serve other people rather than yourself. When you've been like kind of confused with the disciples, like what happened to this kingdom? Like why are we slaves now? But Jesus wanted to make a point that our ambition in life must look different from that of the rest of the world. Our ambition in life has to look different than that of the rest of the world. While our culture says to do everything possible to make your own name great and to achieve recognition for yourself, Jesus says that our ambition should be the same as that of a servant. And you know, a servant's goal is to make their masters look good. So our goal in life should be to serve humbly and do everything in our power to make our God's name great. But I gotta ask, like, how in the world do we do that? I don't know about you guys, but it's really, really, really hard for me to not desire recognition. Like, honestly, this is like a personal struggle. Um, for a lot of my life, I really struggled with being insecure in a lot of different areas. Um, growing up, I was homeschooled, and while there was a lot of like really great things about being homeschooled, there's also like hard stuff. And I kind of want to share like a story that explains more about that. So I was part of a youth group in high school that was super clicky. Okay, church youth group, supposed to be great, wasn't so great. Um, it had two very distinct groups. There's the public school group and the homeschool group. We were so cool. Um, it's really interesting because the two groups like didn't associate with each other at all, except for me and my friend Lindsay. And Lindsay and I uh, kind of acted as like ambassadors between like the two groups. <laughs> Like, actually, it was, it was weird. Um, and so, yeah, she and I would, like, talk to each other, and then we'd kind of, like, grab someone from our group and be like, come on, come talk to another person. And we'd try and, like, merge the groups, and it just didn't work, guys. Like, these groups were not going to talk to each other. It was really, really clear that the kids from the public school group just did not like homeschoolers, and they thought they were weird. And kind of how my youth group functioned is every quarter or so, we would do, like, a game night kind of thing. So we'd like do a game night, we'd go to a movie, we'd do like some kind of activity, right? And typically it was like my youth pastor or the public school group that would plan this activity, which was great. We'd all go have fun, kind of. <laughs> um, but one quarter, it somehow ended up that my group of friends, the homeschool group, was going to plan this activity. 
So we're like, okay, what can we do that'll be fun? And we decided that we wanted to do like a square dance night or like a line dancing night, kind of like the hoedown, if you guys remember that for Chi Alpha. And we were so excited. Like we put so much effort and so much energy into this. Like we set it up so it would be at my friend Michael's um, family's barn. It was going to be outside. We were going to have a bonfire. Um, we had snacks. We had cool music. We like had all the dances like figured out. We were so excited for this. So the night of the event came, and my friends all showed up, and everyone else from the other group literally no-showed. Not one of them came. And to make it worse, when my youth pastor texted them and asked where they were, they said that they went to a friend's house and watched a movie. And we were crushed, guys. We'd worked so hard, and we were so excited about this. Over and over and over again uh, in my life, like things like this have reinforced to me that as someone who is homeschooled, I'm awkward and undesired as a friend. That's just like the message I got growing up. And I don't tell you this to like make you feel sorry for me at all. Like I think we all have experiences like this that shape us and shape our thinking growing up. And for me, the way this has shaped my thinking is that I feel like I need to prove my worth and my value as a person. Because I'm insecure in myself, I feel like I need to do things to make people like me and to prove that I'm good at stuff. And you know that comes out in a lot of ways in my life. Think of like my opening story about like wanting to get a 4.0. Like why do you think I wanted a 4.0? I wanted to prove that I was good enough. I wanted to prove that I was successful. And I still struggle with things. Like now I struggle with like wanting to be the best core leader and like the greatest disciple maker, whatever that means. You know, like, as I'm writing this message, I have to remind myself, like, it's not about me. It's, like, about God. That's still, like, a very real struggle in my life. And all of these, like, desires to make my own name great make it really hard for me to humbly serve in the background because I do things to make myself known instead of to make God known. Have any of you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like you need to prove your worth to people? Have you ever felt like you needed to prove that you were a good friend or to prove that you're good enough at school or prove that you are good enough for a job? My guess is that this is how the disciples were feeling when they asked Jesus to sit on his right and his left. But you guys, Jesus lived his life so differently from this, and he has set an incredible example with like a lot of hope in it for us to follow. Um, so flip over with me to John 13, verses 3 to 5. John 13, 3 to 5. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Guys, Jesus could serve freely without the need to draw attention to himself because he knew who he was in the Lord. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Guys, Jesus knew who he was. There, like, wasn't a doubt in his mind. 
He knew that the father loved him, and he did not see any need to prove himself or earn anything because he was already accepted in God's grace and God's love. The disciples, James and John and all the rest of them, deeply desired status and recognition to make themselves feel important, to make themselves feel worthy. But Jesus could take the position of a servant because he already knew that God had made him worthy and that God loved him dearly. How much do you know that God loves you? Do you know how much worth you guys have in his eyes? When we understand that our worth is given to us from God, we can be so free to serve others. We don't have to worry about making a name for ourselves. We don't have to worry about proving our ability in friendship or school or work because God has already fully satisfied that hole and that need inside of us. If you look at Psalms 139, verses 13 to 16, it says, For you were created in my, er, sorry, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Doesn't this truth speak to how carefully God wired each of us and how thoroughly he cares for each and every one of us? Guys, we don't have to prove anything because God already adores us. He designed us exactly how he wants us to be. I want to ask, like, how much would your life change if you fully believed that you were made in the image of God? that his glory lives in you and that he adores you and completes all of your needs. How much would your life change if you like really believed that? For me, when I remember that I'm made in God's image and I remember how much he loves me, it makes me feel so secure. It is so much easier for me to resist Satan's like whispers and lies as he's telling me I'm not good enough, smart enough, or socially competent enough when I like know that I'm secure in God's love. Instead of focusing on Satan's lies, I can then focus on being made in God's image. And when I'm secure in this truth, it's so much easier to serve others in love rather than chasing security that I'm already given by God. If we understand that, how much easier would it be for us to be ambitious for God and not for ourselves? So then I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come up. Um, and in closing tonight, I want you guys to reflect on three questions. Okay, question one. How much do I believe that I'm fully loved by God? How much do I believe that I'm fully loved by God? What areas of my life do I doubt that the most? Knowing I'm secure in God's love, how is God asking me to lay down my ambitions to serve him rather than myself? How do I need prayer tonight, and what changes do I need to make? 
Okay, so as the worship team comes up and gets set and starts to play, I want you guys just to take, like, a short amount of time, like, the next three minutes maybe, um, and just kind of journal about these and, like, let God speak to you about this stuff. And if you guys are someone who's, like, really struggling to know, like, how much the Lord loves you and to, like, really, like, hold on to that, um, I really want to encourage you, like, later tonight during, like, worship, I want to encourage you to grab a friend and ask them to pray for you. Because I really believe that's something that God wants our community um, to get tonight. I really believe he wants you to just know how deeply he loves you. And that's a prayer that he wants to answer. Okay? But for right now, go ahead and just take the next few minutes and journal and listen to God. 